Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go, a big college football and NFL recap over the next three hours. OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here with a lot to discuss. Big matchups coming up this weekend across the the college slate. Six top 25 matchups. We'll get to that and recap the big highlights from Saturday's action. Plenty of NFL thoughts as well. Matt Rule, fired today. Uh, Head coach of the Carolina Panthers, no more. Uh, Steve Wilkes is the interim after yesterday's 37-15 loss to San Francisco. Sent the Panthers to 1-4 overall. PK's back from the nation's capital. Chad is uh, celebrating the Tennessee Volunteers, who will host the number three-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, a battle of unbeatens this Saturday afternoon in Knoxville. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Matt Rule will make $42 million to walk away, to be fired by Carolina. Seven-year deal. His owner, David Tepper, said before the season, it takes six or seven years to build a foundation for an NFL team, and they fire him this quickly. I don't dispute the results and why they fired him, it's good to be a head coach from a pay standpoint. It does take six or seven years uh, for some teams, uh, but you need to see them on the right track uh, quicker than that. And, and look, you see more sooner. Look at what the New York Giants are doing right now. Brian Dayball uh, very quickly showing you what a good coach can do with a roster that's not that different yeah. than Joe Judge had a year before. If I'm Tepper, I'm looking at that and thinking, look, the conclusion is in on, on my guy, and I'll go spend big money on the next one. And uh, one thing about the super rich owning virtually every team in the NFL is you can afford to make these mistakes well, just like oil barren boosters can in college. You know what's weird to me, though, about that is what I kept thinking about when I see that $42 million figure <clears throat> that they're paying in a buyout. My first thought is, oh, they're all billionaires and this is a billion-dollar industry, not a huge deal. But what happened with the fallout of that construction plan for the new facility in South Carolina that fell through? I think it was in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Was that just a civics issue? I was led to believe they started construction. They did. And there were financial issues around the construction of that project. Well, they got into a fight with Rock Hill. Financial issues on who was paying for what. Okay. Not over David Tepper's billions. But, uh, it, but it yeah, is, that that it, that played a factor in why they pulled out of that deal. But they left. I mean, it looks like a scrapyard now. From but what isn't they left. it funny though? And again, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not David Tepper's attorney or accountant. But isn't it funny that he they have no problem forking over eight hundred and forty three thousand dollars a month for the next four years to a coach, but yet when asked to spend on a building they're going to own, <laughs> they won't do it. A plan falls apart because they can't come to an agreement with some small town in South Carolina to build it. But yeah, yet I'll well, pay. Thinks, I'll pay my failed coach forty-two million instead. In each 
case. I think he thinks he's taking some principled stand, um, and and these guys wind up being stubborn. Um, the main you know. the main difference uh, rule has offset language in his contract. College coaches do not. Jimbo Fisher does not. Meaning, if he right. is fired from A and M and he dip. takes another job, A and M still owes him the ninety million plus buyout. Rule, if he takes another job, that will come out of, or they'll subtract that out of whatever is owed monthly from Carolina in this case. And it was a college-like contract to get him to jump to the NFL at the time. That's what it took. Um, It was that and command over his coaching staff. And Joe Brady took the fall last year. Matt Rule took the fall this year because the next quarterback in line has been bad. Uh, maybe he could have saved himself some time, and I lobby for this all the time. You, you can save yourself a couple of games if you start the other quarterback, and then you make the change to Baker Mayfield instead of rushing it. Uh, if if uh, Tomlin were any any trouble, and he's not, you start the rookie later when you need to go on a run and provide a spark. Rule didn't have that, and they've had a healthy Christian McCaffrey for the most part, and he's been okay. He's been playing well if but you look at his numbers and his impact, okay. but they're... Their defense is a sieve. They make a ton of errors, and their quarterback has been atrocious. That offset language makes me curious, and I don't know that we've seen too many examples of a, of a super expensive NFL coach with, with offset language going to college as a prize, Yeah, um, at least not recently. But I'm curious now if he goes to Wisconsin or Nebraska or wherever, Auburn. how much of a discount do they get? Because he's making that much money, you know, or how how does the financing work? No discount because there's going to be multiple programs that want him. Well, the point I mean, is though he's getting that money anyway, so to speak. What Matt Rule could say is, let's structure it this I way. I would rather penalize the Panthers and make that money. You pay me a million a year, and we will have the highest paid coaching staff in yeah. America for yeah. college. He could very easily do that. And arrange the buyout and those kind of things. Butch Jones got fired from Tennessee and went and became a $28,000 a year analyst at Alabama for like three or four years because he was getting head coach money from Tennessee in, in, in a way to kind of stick it to Tennessee and because he didn't have the head coaching offer he wanted. Matt Rule, the difference is he's going to get a good head coaching offer, but you could absolutely provide a hometown discount for one of these jobs and say – now, the money you're saving and what you would be paying me, because the Panthers are paying the leftover part of that salary, I want to go hire whoever I want. I want Florida staff. And I want these things done, facilities, what, whatever else, this kind of, kind of commitment. You bring up a good point, Paul. It, it would be smart of Matt Rule if he wanted to go right back into college coaching to do that. I could also see Matt Rule saying, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to tour other programs and NFL jobs and maybe do a little bit of TV, but make the full salary, the full buyout for a year, and then reevaluate a year from now. Though there's some interesting jobs open, and exactly. it's a, maybe a better market a big, this year. It's than a big risk year. because are you going to have Wisconsin, Nebraska, Auburn possibly bidding, at least two of them, you would think, bidding yeah. for you? Yeah, and now, I mean, and either way, Tepper's fine with it. You know, that, that's the thing is they, I mean, this is, we knew this was coming. You know, we, we had last week, we were discussing the, the job security for coaches, and we said he's a dead man walking. Uh, and that was with the offset language and all that included in what was guaranteed on his contract. I, I think this has been the worst kept secret because of how bad things have been. When they allow more than 17 points, he is 1-27 in 
in his time in Carolina. One in 27 is his record when they allow more than 17 points in a game. It's terrible. And he was, you know, signed on. It was supposed to be some great uh, revamp of their offense, you know, the college style. And where they started, to be fair to him, um, their, their plan started on defense. They had that draft, but two years ago, three years ago, every single pick was on defense. And their defense has been good. I mean, they're... There have been times where you look around going, man, this, this seems to be falling apart. But overall, I mean, their, their defense does its part, and then they get no quarterback play. From Sam Darnold, who he signed off on, to but prior to that, what, Teddy Bridgewater, and then Baker Mayfield, where for whatever reason, they don't make the move until right before the season. And no matter what quarterback's coming in there, it's tough to just throw a quarterback into the mix and say, okay, uh, get ready for the season with your new teammates uh, and, and learn the terminology. It's a lot more difficult than that, and he didn't have much of a shot this year, I'm saying. Yeah, and did not have – Matt Corral gets hurt before the season. So, you know, we talked about sort of the safety net of having a rookie quarterback to go to. Not that Matt Corral, right, as yeah. a non-first-round pick, would have been that guy. Well, they could have said, here we go with but, the new – hey, you know, this week against the 49ers – Baker Mayfield's been abysmal. We're going to give the rookie a chance. He's got some moxie. And then maybe he goes out there and surprises you. Then you could come back and say, hey, we feel like we've got a pretty good quarterback that we can groom to be the franchise guy. You don't even have that now in Carolina. So it's easy to see why they made that decision. But he wins in college. Like He will be a hot commodity now. And he already was. He was already getting mentioned there. Um, Chad, I'm sure you saw this and thought, where does Nebraska sit on this list? Yeah, and Auburn. You know, I think the one that people started immediately saying was, if I'm Auburn, Auburn needs Auburn-Nebraska also. This is the difference with the jobs. Auburn and Nebraska are two really good, tradition-rich jobs that need a program builder from the ground up. Like, they are broken. They need a start. So, Matt Rule would be a guy that could come in and build your program. That's what he's, he's done at Temple. Yeah. That's what he did at Baylor. They started from rock bottom at Baylor when he took over, and he quickly got them competitive and then got them really good. So that's perfect for Auburn or Nebraska. I look at Wisconsin and think, this is not a broken program. I mean, maybe Jim Leonard, by the way, who had a really good debut as the interim coach, maybe Jim Leonard keep it in the family and just promote him as the head coach is the right option at Wisconsin. Yeah, they, they looked really good this past weekend. Uh, Steve Wilkes is the interim head coach now in Carolina. He has spent plenty of time there. He was a part of that staff from like 2012 to 2017. Then he had the one-year stint in, in Arizona as the head coach. Um, and he's been like the past game defensive coordinator this year. So they've, they've been splitting that up, but they've named him the interim. And he's part of a lawsuit against the league. Yeah, that's right. And now he gets a, you know, he gets a chance to turn things around as best he can uh, to possibly, if it doesn't end up here, him getting the job with Carolina, uh, to possibly end up getting some interviews down the road because of this, depending on how his team plays. I think it's a team that will wind up being blown up and Tepper with that money, <clears throat> you know, thought he was getting himself a, a big, flashy coach with this hire. I expect he'll go out and make another one. Um, same it kind is, of deal, um, not necessarily a college guy, but a name. It is interesting, though. I was thinking about the, the move. Like, Tepper also continued to discuss how he wanted the franchise QB, right? Like, they brought Cam back 
for half a season or whatever it was. Um, but they never really invested in the franchise quarterback. I realized, to get in on Deshaun, right? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did try to do that. Um, they did make the trade for Sam Darnold, and they put, T- Teddy Bridgewater. They, yeah, had, they, they tried to the stop gap. They just couldn't yeah, get in. They, on, they, yeah, there was they, nobody big to get in on. Or, oh, or oh that but they there were. Get, they I mean, couldn't they, get in on. They, 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 the only two that they talked about or that was reported was Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers at the time. See, they, the um, they thing wanted was, in on, did they want in on Russell Wilson? Well, like, I'm trying to see. I think the thing was that Russell Wilson, you know, he would, he he declined the opportunity for Cleveland mm-hmm. earlier. So the the problem they were in is that these good quarterbacks who maybe were moving weren't interested in moving to bad teams. weren't interested in moving to bad teams that were going to have to give up their draft capital to get good in order to acquire them. So if Russell Wilson comes to Carolina and they've got to give up two firsts and two seconds to get him, he's coming to a wasteland of a team that's given up the draft capital that would make them good, and it's an unattractive team for those reasons. They shouldn't be that bad, though. The the problem has been quarterback. Yeah. They've got Christian McCaffrey. They have DJ Moore, who they're probably trying to trade now. Robbie Anderson at wide receiver. Um, Yeah, I I look at their offense, and I think they, they need some pieces on the offensive line, yes. But they're also been really bad at QB and not able to get anything consistently going. Defensively, they've invested in young talent so they can invest their money on the opposite side. And I just, for whatever reason, they never truly threw the checkbook at anyone. Uh, and maybe that's to their credit. They didn't go after Carson Wentz. Washington did, right? Like, there are other examples of where it hasn't worked out. But Carolina, I mean, they didn't jump to the top of the. They had their option. They could have had Kenny Pickett, chose not to. This past year. Could have chased Matt. Well, Matt Ryan probably wasn't coming could in, have, in yeah, division. Yeah, well, fair. But uh, again, like they, the only two we heard about, Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers, but Rodgers wasn't leaving unless you were giving him $50 million plus and something for Green Bay. Right, nobody got him. Yeah. So uh, that, that's the only argument I can make for Matt Rule is the owner continued to talk about investing in quarterback and he was left with Baker Mayfield in July. They should. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think coaches tank. Steve Wilkes isn't going to tank, but it would be best for them if they were oh, yeah. at the top yeah, they, of the They need board. a top three pick to draft a quarterback. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. And a coach that can develop him now. Can you imagine, though, if Steve Wilkes, a part of the Brian Flores lawsuit, then claimed later that he was also asked to tank this year. <laughs> That's a good thought. I mean, just oh, yeah. adding on to it, like you better be careful about the meetings you have around me if you want to imply that we're not out here trying to win <laughs> and I don't have a chance at this job long term because these are all going straight to my attorney. Oh, I'll afford yeah. these I'm, meetings I'm keeping, and record them straight to my attorney. I'm taking meticulous notes. Yes. Paul, how was how was DC? How was Washington? Uh, these trips are so in and out now. I got there uh, to the hotel at 10:30 on Saturday night, and I've, my flight this morning was 6:55. So it's an uh, early trip to the airport. Yeah, FedEx Field is not a lovely place, as you know. The the no. press box though, press boxes in a lot of the uh, you, you know stadiums of this era are poorly located in that they're in a corner. I didn't remember that it was as low as it is, so it's really better than. Uh, Many of them, and particularly if the team that you're watching is driving towards you. Uh, is that right it, in front of you, the final play? It's not that bad. Yeah, it's coming right right at us, that last series. So Carson Wentz? It uh, wasn't that bad. Carson Boy, those Wentz are three terrible plays. I mean, start with the first down play is a throwaway. 
that Christian Fulton almost picks in the back of the end zone because he did such a bad job of throwing it away. Uh, but very uninventive, uncreative uh, plays there. Just, uh, But, I mean, it says something about the Titans, too, that the commanders are in that game and in position to win it, four tries to win it. They only got three of them because David Long made a nice interception there. But uh, much much more of a nail-biter than it should be based on the talent levels of those two teams. What was your drive like from Georgetown to Landover, Maryland? Because I, I was there for an Army-Navy game, and I just remember, I feel like I passed Nationals Park at one point, and you're in the city, and then 10 minutes later, the stadium's there. But I don't remember anything. It's like I hit a time warp where the space-time continuum didn't work for the stretch between D.C. to Landover, Maryland. Well, going, um, it's interesting because I had such a bad experience in Buffalo because my Uber driver, as you remember, yeah, oh, I did yeah. some of the show from the car, and we approached it from the wrong side, which was a nightmare. So I made sure to approach this from the correct side. It said you have to be on such and such a street, which was from the south. Well, the directions all wanted to take me from the north. Even to get to this street, it was like, well, yeah, just go to the north of the stadium and then drive south to get to this street. And I was like, I'm not falling for that. So I took a very seemingly obscure path to make sure I got to this street, even though I knew the traffic was going to be nothing like Buffalo. So that took me like 35, 40 minutes because I was on kind of outskirt streets hitting a lot of lights. On the way back, it was no big deal. It was just like 30 minutes. I did drive by RFK Stadium on the way there, which most of these stadiums tend to get knocked down. That stadium looks like I didn't it's know it just still sitting there, rusting, fenced off. I thought a soccer team played there. No, I think they have their own field. Do they play there? Yeah, I, thought, I think a soccer no, team looks, played there. He like said it's, it's called a- Audi Field. Looks like it's in bad shape. We all turned to well Colin, our soccer time, expert. When last I time, I was, oh, last time I was up. there, a soccer team was playing. There. Are they building something? Do they have something in process? They've been. Oh, they're in the new stadium for two years. Okay, so RFK is empty. Yeah, it does not look. It looks like a, a graveyard, rusty, whatever. But I can imagine, like, you know, we've seen some of these things where it's expensive to knock it down. It's also expensive to not maintain it in some ways like do you just leave it there coming up uh, we will recap week five across the nfl everything from the bills blowout win over pittsburgh and kenny pickett's first start uh message sent and delivered by buffalo uh, the dolphins lose bridgewater to con- the new concussion protocol we'll dive in on that plus uh, the cowboys win with defense and special teams and la uh, the Rams continue to look around going, man, what is going on with our pass protection of Matthew happening. Stafford? We will get to that in hour number two. When we come back, the college football weekend jam-packed with storylines. We will take a look at the new updated AP Top 25 and the matchups that this poll will present for us this weekend, including Tennessee and Alabama. That's next to Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
Outkick 360 rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Tennessee and LSU from this past Saturday morning slash afternoon. Not a game. The Vols blow out the Tigers in Baton Rouge. Meanwhile, A&M and Alabama, similar to last year. In style of play from Alabama, the overall formula from Texas A&M, it was a game late, and I think everything went to plan for Jimbo Fisher except for the final play call, which was awful. Uh, Everything in between was a lot of fun, too, as we take a look at the AP Top 25 and the... Uh, big changes as we head into week seven with Georgia being number one, Alabama down to number three with Ohio State number two. Clemson is up to fourth, Michigan fifth, and Tennessee jumps ahead a couple of spots to number six overall. And that means number three versus number six this weekend in Knoxville for the 230 Central kickoff. Chad, that spot could be yours. That three could be yours. Oh, the spot at three? Yeah. You uh, win, you flip. Uh, with the win, they're moving up. And with the win, they may move ahead of Ohio State or Georgia, with who that would mean they've already beaten this year. I, I'm confused about uh, Georgia now, the number one spot. I, look, it's it doesn't matter. You know, we're talking about undefeated teams that are great, but Ohio State's look far better to me. If we're just going by how you've won, the manner in which you've disposed of teams – I think Ohio State should be number one in the country. Yeah, I think Ohio State is the best team right now. I understand the schedule argument for that, but again, Ohio State looks really, really good. And the top 10 looks really good. All unbeatens in the top 10 for the AP Top 25 right now. How about James Madison? They've played five games at this level, and they're in the top 25. Good for them. And they're not eligible for a Sun Belt title or to play in a major bowl, uh, which is unfortunate because they may go unbeaten. Um, man, and they've got Coastal Carolina final game of the year. Uh, there's nice. so many so many places we can go right now with this, but let, let's look at some of those unbeaten's at the top. Alabama continues to make mistakes that are very unbama like. Now, I chalked this last one up to Jalen Milrow and a backup quarterback more than anything else with their mistakes, and they're going to look like a different team on Saturday because Bryce Young is going to play. In Knoxville, Mm -hmm. at least all indications are that this was a precautionary deal to sit him out, and it's a pain tolerance type thing for the rest of the year. Can't really injure that that non-throwing shoulder even more. But, Hudden, we saw Alabama a number of times a year ago, and we were kind of saying the same things, right? This is very uncrimson tide-like in the way they have mistakes and penalties during the game. And I'm thinking the same thing. On, on Saturday night, watching A&M get the ball back and roll down the field with Haynes. I was having so many Zach Calzada flashbacks. Yeah, same, I, Zach I mentioned Calzada the script last could, year. Was, well, it was Zach, too obvious that it was it could roll this way. Not even just – I'm talking specifically, Haynes King couldn't move. Yeah. I mean, he could barely step into a throw. His, deli- his, his delivery of the ball of looks, foot. looks weird to begin with. And it looked like a guy – I was thinking the same thing with Calzada. How is he completing these passes against Alabama's defense but rolled them right down the field? It was it was crazy to watch. It was deja vu. Everything looks like so much work for A&M. And Man, it is. If you're going to hang with Bama for a full four quarters, it is. You've got to have some things go your way. And, and there's a did. formula to it. And, you know, that's – it's the same formula and script that I referenced last week when we saw this spread open up. I was like, I just don't trust the 24 points – 
because we have seen this before, and they're coming off another loss to Mississippi State. Quarterback you don't trust. A defense that you know can stop the run, uh, but had not been doing it well this year. And an offense that is just hard to watch. And I, I felt like they did a huge disservice to the offense at the end for A&M that had played that type of game, had uh, Bama what turn it over four times. They missed two kicks, which they're not doing on a regular basis. And to throw that low percentage pass on the final pass attempt to end the game, I, I thought uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea behind that decision um, they, I don't. I don't think they did a, a great service to the locker room and, and the and the the guys that took that went to the road on the road in Tuscaloosa and played that type of game against Bama after uh, the season they've had. I had a flashback to the Broncos play call where on you know fourth and short or whatever it was to end the game they they just dropped back yeah. with Russell Wilson and threw a very low percentage pass into the end but, zone I mean, instead this... of giving a run pass option that play and I also. To be fair to Jimbo Fisher, I know Terion Arnold, the defensive back, heard what he heard and saw what he saw, but to claim that he's yelling, Evan, 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 and that's telling them where they're throwing the ball the whole time. It's crazy. He says that's what he heard, so that's how he knew to jump the play. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, it's also a five-star receiver. you got to be expecting it's going to come his way one way or the other. And they could be trying to get his attention. He could be yelling at him about That's, something yeah, or, to, right. or to look An at something. Or something. Yeah. I, I think to say that, well, he tipped off the play because he was yelling it. And I know Jimbo Fisher is getting a lot of criticism. I'm with Hutton in that criticized them for that last play call. I don't think that he was really yelling across the field where with 100,000 people there, Terry on Arnold could hear him calling the receiver out who's going to get the ball in the final play. I don't buy that much, but I hated the play call. No. Yeah. Very low why, percentage. Oh, yeah, you have the entire end zone to work with, and you narrow it down to the front corner. And it's not, I mean, the ball is at the pylon where the receiver is going to have to make Probably a physical catch and battle Get his in. way in. I mean, I mean, if he catches it, he's, I mean, I think he's scoring, but it's such a, Haynes King making that throw, it's a long throw. It's, I don't know. I just, I it didn't understand good. it. Plus, I thought there was room on the, the two snaps, including that one. For him, just run in. You know, he's, he's standing back there. I, I realize the linebackers and the defensive front of Alabama is really good, but I don't know why you didn't attempt to try to go two yards and get in from a, a, a higher percentage play where all you have to do is cross the plane. We, uh, so I'm sending this to Colin right now, and uh, we need to play this uh, either this segment or later in the show. But Nick Saban on the Nick Saban Coaches Show the, the next day broke down that final play and everything they were thinking defensively, and it is unbelievably good. It's about a minute and 20 seconds, but he lays out every responsibility and what Henry Toa was looking at and how he was green dog spying the quarterback because they were afraid of him leaking up the middle. For the run, I mean, just everything they're looking at on that final play and how they approach it, obviously, like a two-point conversion play, a two-point play, and how they would uh, defend it. Really, really good from, from Nick Saban. But yeah, to put yourself in that position again, which is remarkable for this A&M team with no offense, with a quarterback that you started this season with that was so bad you went to a backup and then you had to put him back in and he's hurt in the end, but you got to do something different on that final play. When you get that second bit of life in that pass interference, 
in the end zone. You get one oh, play. Oh, the miraculous catch prior from to that. the two. You've got the, to come up with tip. something. Yes, great come showing up with by A and M. But another one of these games, uh, particularly here, where you where you're with your backup quarterback, where you feel like Bama's just like we'll do any anything and everything we have to do to get this one and survive for next week when we get our guy back. Well, Jameer Gibbs looks like what Alvin Kamara should have looked like at Tennessee right now. 21 carries, 154 yards. He's the fastest guy on the field. And he is elusive and tough to bring down. He is great. And now we get to see how great he is because we weren't really going to see that with the defending Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback because they weren't going to run it enough. But with Milrow in, he's had a chance to showcase, and he's been terrific. So the early line, I believe, Chad, is way, it opened at 8 late Saturday night. I think it opened at 8.5. It's down to 7.5. Yeah, for Tennessee and Bama, where Tennessee will host them this weekend. Uh, the Battle of Unbeatens. It's the game of the week in what is a great college football weekend. Six matchups from the top 25 we're showing um, between teams ranked in the top 25. It's, it's going to be a classic Saturday, and we will see. We can refer to this as moving day. You will see a lot of moving and shaking based on results from this Saturday in week seven. No doubt about it. But going back to this past weekend, as we look through what happened this week, this past weekend, um, Tennessee's win over LSU, as we set up now Tennessee and Alabama, that was a statement. I, I did not see that coming. From the opening kick, that, that was just a bludgeoning. 265 rushing yards in Baton Rouge for Tennessee against a defense that was good against the run coming into it. Tennessee's defensive line finally showed that ability that we've been looking for out of Byron Young and others in that game to get to the quarterback. Uh, I thought it was just a, a real masterclass for Tennessee top to bottom. I mean, it's, it's the best top to bottom performance I've seen since T. Martin was a quarterback uh, for a road game like that. Well, and he, I mean, and, and this, is, this is not a great LSU team by any means. No. I thought they'd um, score some. Yeah. You know, but I'm also looking at it from a perspective of Josh Heupel wasn't handed anything either. And within a year and a half, he's got them ranked where he's got them ranked. Um, and, you know, Brian Kelly, to get him to leave Notre Dame, they had to give him some some benefit on the contract. But I didn't see a, a team that looked very prepared for what Tennessee was bringing. And, that you know, he's not coaching the, 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 the kid to, to fumble the opening kickoff by any means. But the fourth down where you can kick the field goal and just get some points on the board. Uh, Tennessee gets the stop early. I just uh, I don't know if uh, chasing that early is the way to go in, in a game like that where you quickly go down two possessions. Well, the definitely, LSU. definitely not. Yeah, I, the not built. And for Brian it. Kelly said it at halftime and post game. He said we're getting out coached big time. It's a mismatch right now from a coaching perspective. And I like that he's being honest about it. But not learning from that early mistake. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down for the game. But going for that fourth down early where this this was very similar to Tennessee against Florida in that I'm watching that and I don't immediately think, man, Billy Napier's got a a ton of confidence in his offense. I think the statement you're making is we can't stop Tennessee. Right. We cannot stop their offense, so we we're going to go on every fourth down, and it's like a 13-year-old playing Madden. My guy's going to that I'm playing is going to keep scoring, so I got to go for it on every fourth down. I don't think I don't, you want to look that desperate early. So I did not like that fourth down. What I really didn't like, for LSU perspective, and I'm sure their their fans didn't either, going for it on fourth with what 30 seconds left in the half from midfield and, and getting sacked and giving up three that at the time felt like the end of the game 
when they fell behind 16 and a half. Because Tennessee's getting the ball. Yes. Instead of 13, that was an enormous error by LSU. But that to to go for it on fourth after the opening kick was fumbled and Tennessee gets points and you know, you're on the short field there, your defense on average has allowed just under 15 points per game going into the kickoff against Tennessee. I just didn't, I mean, it, if you if you get it, it's a different story. But this this did not feel close by the end of the first quarter, yeah, and, that, and then not on the know, same level. I thought another all. another statement and another sign of where things are headed for Tennessee is the final possession for the Vols, where this is not some minute and a half drive. You know, they I, I've been harping on this with their offense. Can you put together a four minute? That's what you've been asking for, and a thirteen plays, eighty three yard drive um, that took eight fifty three off the clock. That is how you get into the top ten, Josh Heupel. They doubled that up your is, four minute drive. Huh? That is how you figure out twice. how to put a game away with having no issues whatsoever, pacing the clock, using using the clock to your advantage. They use it to their advantage in the hurry up. And they use it to their advantage to close the door, slam it shut, and lock it. I mean, it was it was beautiful, and I, I thought the the overall coaching job by Tennessee here was tremendous. And what's not an easy environment to play in, regardless of the time of kickoff. And the one of the reasons I know that it's not some grand sta- statement to say that Josh Heupel is doing a great job and appears to be a very very good head football coach. Yeah. In what he's done in, in Knoxville. But something that really makes me believe this guy understands it and gets it is I'm listening to post-game coverage in the locker room interview with Josh Heupel, and he's ex- excited about their performance. But when asked about that drive, you know, the first thing he said was, disappointing we didn't put it in the end zone and had to settle for a field goal at the end of that because that's the statement we really wanted to make. When we get the ball, we score touchdowns. And even if we're working the clock and milking it, we are running the ball – we do not need to stall at the end and kick a field goal. Think about this, too. Tennessee scored 40 points and attempted five field goals. LSU's red zone defense was really good mm-hmm. in this game. They hit four of them. They missed a 51-yarder off the upright. But 40 points and five, four made field goals. They were not finishing drives and still were able to get to 40. That's 30-plus points in eight straight games, a new school record. Also for Tennessee, and the longest such streak in the country. Where's America's money going to go on this game at seven and a half? Well, uh, it depends. It depends on Bryce Young. I think it always. Presuming he's a go. I feel like these types of things always kind of swing towards the home team, even if that's smart money or not, only because everyone's going to be talking about the atmosphere in Knoxville all week. It is going to be the center of the college football universe. College game day is going to be there for the second time in three weeks at a Tennessee game. So. I think that betting money is going to start pouring in on Tennessee, whether that's the smart play or not. I think if Jalen Milrow started this game, Tennessee beats Alabama because their strength is stopping the run. They're third in the SEC against the run. Not great against the pass. So completely flips the dynamic defensively of what you're able to do with with Bryce Young in the game. Yeah, and it depends on how much you trust – the Tennessee defense, you know, last year it was a seven-point spread early fourth quarter in that game, and Tennessee was having to match the up-and-down play of Bryce Young, uh, up and down the field, I mean, not up and down play-wise by him. And it took one fourth down stop by the Alabama defense, and the game was over. It was a two-possession game, and that's all she wrote because the Tennessee defense was not going to stop them. 
can they get, you know, it, I was thinking the same thing with Milrow watching him play Saturday night. With the way the t- Tennessee defense played, five sacks, nine tackles for loss. Daniels was not comfortable in that game against LSU. His longest run was 17 yards. Uh, and that's for a running quarterback that can't throw. Um, it fits the narrative of what I saw from Milrow. And now you've got Bryce Young coming back. And can Tennessee's defense find that the extra one or two possessions for its offense? If so, and you know Hooker doesn't take as many hits as he did in this past game where his accuracy goes awry and he's going to take some hits um they can stay in this game and this can be an upset i'm always a bit wary of the pain tolerance injury deal so i you know expect he starts but i'm not positive he finishes who uh, that, so, that talking about bryce young yeah that bryce young is is automatic to play this whole game and if they get milrow into the game obviously you know I, huge I, advantage tennessee i'll say this too about Hendon hooker <clears throat> That guy's got to learn how to slide better. Uh, he is the most awkward. If there's one knock on his game, it's that even when he decides to slide, it is the most awkward-looking thing. I feel like he's going to tear every ligament in his knee and get knocked unconscious. Stick his leg in The way he slides. like his cleat gets stuck, and then he still leaves his head vulnerable to get knocked out by a player who's coming in to hit him hard. Um, he like got the Ole Miss game last year. He got leveled looking to his left and not seeing a guy coming in right, right, to, right into his chest. And he was not the same quarterback for about eight minutes after that. Uh, he was completely inaccurate. I'm thinking he's feeling the repercussions of that hit. So talking about Bryce Young, I'm not sure that Hendon Hooker, after getting banged up in the Florida game, this is going to continue to be a thing unless he gets a lot better at sliding in this game because he's going to run. I mean, Tennessee's at their most successful when he's running. They need him to run, it's not, especially against Alabama. It's not but something you, you get, get good at in a week. No, and there was one, the long run against LSU this, this weekend. Hutton, you may remember the play I'm, talk, I'm thinking of, but at the very end of it, I'm thinking, just slide, baseball slide, baseball out. slide. And it's like he goes frontal, knee down, <laughs> starts to go to the ground, and then thinks twice, and just gets crushed by a safety. Right, and, and he had no reason getting crushed after about a 40-yard gain, and instead gets crushed. LSU had allowed just 13 first-quarter points all season. That's what Tennessee put up on them in the first quarter this past weekend. LSU had scored just three points in the first quarter against the Power 5 teams and, of course, did not score in the first quarter this past week against Tennessee. Uh, Coming up a bit later, we'll dive in throughout the rest of the SEC and the Power 5. Plenty of results, uh, contenders and pretenders that we saw this weekend, out west in particular. And uh, we will also turn our attention in about 15 minutes to the NFL when we come back, the very latest on the MLB postseason and the Mets. Done. Sent packing. They are uh, done for the postseason after three games against the Padres. And now the Braves get a chance to uh, await the Phillies. The, the, the Phillies, what, tomorrow? This game number one? Noon. Noon Central Time tomorrow, Braves Phillies. We'll uh, discuss that and much more on the schedule on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, 
live only on Netflix. NLDS, ALDS, all set. Braves host the Phillies starting tomorrow. That's the uh, noon central time first pitch, followed by Mariners-Astros, then Guardians in New York to take on the Yankees, and followed by Padres-Dodgers. Let's go! All four games tomorrow. There is your MLB playoffs, and uh, the Mets are out after the pitchers just look old against, uh, against San Diego. The bats were ready to go on the road. Listen, people want to crush the Yankees. If the Yankees do their thing, that's fine. The Mets win or go home wild card game drew 39,241 fans, the lowest of the three-game series at City Field. Not a sellout. I don't want to hear a peep from anybody who's a Mets fan, where's Mets stuff, where's blue and orange, anything. Shut up. Go away. End of story. A lot of hype about you this season. You didn't get it done. I don't want to hear anything. The Yankees can get swept out of this thing. You don't get to say a word. You didn't even sell it out. Your do or die last game of the season. Well, the, the really frustrating part about the Mets, to add you know insult to injury to insult, is that they're not young. I mean, you talked about the pitchers looking old. They, this may have been their window. This may have been their chance. And then you flip that around and look at the Braves, who their eight core guys are signed through like 2030. Just signed another one. All of them. Two He's doing negotiating It is unbelievable right how well set up the Braves are for another decade of winning the NL East and competing for, for World it's Series. It's also unbelievable the discount rate people give you. You just signed a young pitcher, right? People love that organization, Paul. Just ask Freddie Freeman, who still can't stop talking about the divorce from the Braves <laughs> and how he didn't really get over it until recently because he's so yeah, upset I, that I, he's I not there. I prefer to talk with Doug Gottlieb about it. What, um, what's the price tag on this pitcher? Eight for 75 years? Uh, eight for 75 million? You're talking about Spencer Strider? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a ridiculous rate, is it not? It's it's incredible. I mean, I was I'm trying Why to find a tweet right now that I saved. Why do people keep getting ripped off by the Braves? Um, Go to the market and get real money. It's not the Braves' fault. They're doing, I know, but I mean, they keep doing it. It's ridiculous. These guys should wake up and understand. There's real money out there. Paul's just mad that Aaron Judge allowed himself to go to market and didn't resign with the Yankees. This kid should be going the to season. the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees and get or the Red Sox get real money. It's the culture, Paul. Culture. It's the culture in Atlanta got with that team. And, uh, you know, if Judge was a Brave, he probably would have signed before One, the season. two, <laughs> and, and three. And been there the whole time. Wake up. Wake up. Now go negotiate. Now that you're unhypnotized. The, the Mets, though, the boo birds for Max Scherzer in yeah. that game on Friday, Friday night. And then last night, I, I got sucked into that game even more than the NFL game on because the gamesmanship <sighs> with Buck Showalter to send the umpires out in, the I think, the sixth inning. To, to go look at Joe Musgrove, his ears. Visually, it looked <laughs> it I would looked have checked weird. It, too. it looked it looked like a pro wrestler getting this. oiled up. His, it, it his ears like were waxy greasy. looking. Yes. And you had the umpire like rubbing him down <laughs> like a, 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 a like a mother with a child on the beach, you know, like trying to rub in the uh the that sunscreen. That would freak me out if I, I was I thought the, the whole thing was just handled in a weird way. And not just by the ESPN broadcast, but people on Twitter it's like they decided to change their opinion mid-game. Because I saw a lot of baseball people asking questions about 
That looks like some foreign substance on his ears. Boy, Joe Musgrove's spin rate is really off the charts tonight. I wonder why. And then the moment it happened, it was like, what disrespect? What disrespect by Buck Walter to stop the game and do this? And if you're going to do was that, you better be right. The and they were not. It was 4 nothing. I know a thing or two about Buck Walter, and here are the things. He doesn't get it done in the end. He's not a finisher, and he continues not to be a finisher. His teams don't know how to get over the mountain. So, and when he's with the Mets, that makes me very happy. Here's my hope, Here, Here's one, one other thing, though, on the spin rate, because they were talking about this last night, and uh, I'm forgetting Davey can find it for us. The ESPN broadcast crew, the pitching, the pitcher that's on the broadcast crew last night of the game uh, for Mets Padres. Might have been David Cohn. I, it, I think it was Cohn. Who's excellent. But either way, they're talking about, the, he said, you know, spin rate is definitely – much improved tonight than it has been all season. <laughs> but I, I think the guy just came ready to play. And I'm thinking to myself, I can understand having a couple miles per hour quicker on your velocity because you're, you're pumped up. But Spending your spin rate being off the charts better because you're, you know, this guy I mean, just, it, came, hey, it's October and this guy came ready tonight. It looked like he had a little bullfrog on his ear, like the, yes. the sunscreen yeah. stuff. I don't so, know. I don't, clearly, they didn't find anything when the umpire because they went out there for a while and oh, checked everything I mean, the, on the, him. The umpire rubbed him down. I yeah, mean. I mean, he was it was a complete <laughs> shakedown. I mean, I thought he got into some orifices at, at one point. The way he was getting all up in, you know, it was like these teams. Did you get in the ear hole, sir? <laughs> these teams with the big buys, I worried about uh, calming down, cooling off. But now these teams that swept in two, they've got a lot of time too. I think the Guardians could cool down. Find out tomorrow. Yes, we will. For our Braves and our Yankees. Our biggest headline from the NFL weekend. We'll bring one each next on Outkick 360.